The following podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. They ain't listening to us yelling, so we use our cerebellum. And vocal politicians with ethical knowledge in them. Gotta change these laws, equality for all. So I'm toting my vote. I hope I'm giving you hope. Stand up for our rights. Let's put our fists to the sky. On June 24th, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 decision that affirmed the constitutional right to an abortion. Over decades, research has demonstrated that abortion bans most severely impact people in marginalized groups who already struggle to access health care, including abortion. Where do we draw the line on bodily autonomy? Isn't abortion health care? This is an incredibly polarizing topic that shouldn't be, and we just have to talk about it. So now bear with us as we wade into this infuriating topic. So harness your chi and tap into your inner RBG as we go there. I am your host, Matt, and we are the Going There Podcast. Ready or not, we are going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. It's only us. It's only us. So the narrative of abortion has been largely dictated by the church, by the Republican Party, by a lot of anti-abortion groups from the beginning of time as far as, well, not quite the beginning of time, but we'll get into that. Being a guy... I'm comfortable having this conversation, but I'm uncomfortable being the main voice in this. And this is why the panel is all women. And we have a diverse group of women, and we're going to be hearing from other women in this episode from different interviews, different time and place, because there's so many different voices and experiences. And while data and facts are really important, the personal stories are really what change minds and and hearts more than anything. So... Uh, first and foremost, let's introduce our awesome panel for this episode, starting with the daughter of our resident badass Hassan, which is Octavia. Uh, my name is Octavia. Um, I have two dogs and I love boxing. And you remember Amanda, hopefully, but you can go ahead and remind us who you are. I'm Amanda Weinstein. I'm an economist. And before I was an economist, I was a pro-life conservative voter. My favorite kind. (laughs) I mean, after the fact. Allie? Uh, My name is Allie McGee. I'm an attorney. Um, And this year I scheduled an abortion, but I did not have one. And we can get into that. And last but certainly not least. Hi, my name is Ashley Keith Phillips. I am a healthcare attorney, and I am a person with a history of cancer in my family. So this is very concerning for me for for those reasons. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here and for sharing your stories, because, again, that's the most important thing. Um, So as a guy, look, for the men listening or watching, of course you have a voice, but the fact is it's been all the males' voices for a long time. And our real, like, 
our real position and role in this entire conversation should be advocating and supporting the people who actually have to deal with this. And I'm also going to start by prefacing that I might use the word woman a lot or women, and obviously we want to be inclusive. Uh, people who have the ability to get pregnant, I mean, we're in a constantly changing world and environment, and there's a lot of different terminology that you can use. So please don't think that we're not being inclusive when we say it, um, and it, you can chalk it up to Matt's ignorance. Um, so let's start with growing up, how were you taught about abortion? Um, I would say growing up, I learned about abortion in high school, you know, um, when you have health class and there's the introduction of here's a banana, here's a condom. <laughs> this Try is and how get it, that thing on there. <laughs> <laughs> this is how this goes. And if you don't do this, then there's a baby. Um, if you don't want to keep the baby, then you have this option. There was never any sort of debate about whether you could or couldn't have an abortion. It was like, you're a woman, you can carry a baby, you can carry the baby if you choose to, or you have the right to make this choice about your body. It was it was neutral? Absolutely. Wow. Is that here in Ohio? Yeah. Wow. Like, wow. Like, if I can say that. What was the makeup of the student body? Primarily white, um, little black, little Arab, but Lakewood's a predominantly white community. Lakewood is a very progressive Absolutely. Um, I think, like, per population, they were, like, the most progressive for the LGBTQ community. At least a few years back, they were yeah. considered, like, best. So that's really awesome, and I yeah. think that's very rare, especially in a red state. Yeah. I So I grew up in Brexville, which is not a progressive town. No. Um, it's very red, but it's very quiet red. Um, it's people who think that they're the upper middle class and they are voting red because they have money and it's financial and not social. Um, and they're I grew fiscally up in, conservative. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I think that means white person. It does. <laughs> yeah, it means entitled white person. Uh, and it's infuriating. In you have a very itself. nice fiscally conservative shirt <laughs> on today. <laughs> um, and I grew up in an Irish Catholic household. So when you hear all those things, you're like, you definitely grew up thinking abortion was evil. And I went to my mom. I, I found out about abortion in, like, high school, like everyone does. And I said something to my mom, like, what do you think about this? Because you're still at that age where you're like, what do my parents think? You know, I'm still forming my own opinions. I don't think it's bad, but I bet my mom does because she was grown. She grew up in a Catholic church, Catholic school, um, didn't have sex till she got married. Bullshit. I'm calling <laughs> cool. I My mom told me that too until no, I, I did the math and I figured she was pregnant with I me when she got married. I think that one might be true. Did she um, tell you, well, the positions we did don't actually that's count. That's not sex. Yeah, right. No, that's not it. Just some soaking. Yeah. Like the <laughs> Docking, is that what it's called? Um, no, but she said, and this is also can be problematic wording. It's like, I don't think I would ever get one, but it's not my choice to tell someone else if they can get one. So I think now our, we, we speak differently. Like, you don't know if you would get one until you're put into that position. Yeah. Um, but I never grew up thinking it was evil. And then she told me, like, someone that was very close to me who had an abortion in college that was one of her best friends, how it, like, saved her life and how that – I think that really probably shaped my mom's thoughts. My mom might not have thought that way at 20, but at 22 when her friend got this abortion that – wasn't medically necessary, but for her to live the life she wanted was necessary. And so you weren't, you wonder how her thoughts changed. I've never dug into that with her. But um, And then there's my dad who's like, do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's not my problem. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, 
Not the answer I expected, but the answer I got was no. So they actually are fiscally conservative. So <laughs> yeah. I've never really heard that before. Especially well, not Irish, anymore. especially Irish Catholic. Yeah, because yeah. I was raised Catholic. I mean, I was raised all kinds of crazy. We can talk about that in a minute, but that is actually impressive for place, time, and demographic. Ashley, how about you? Um, I, you know, I can't remember where I learned what an abortion was, but I know that I just knew it at some point. Like I remember like going back to watch Dirty Dancing and I'm like, oh, trouble. <laughs> she got an abortion. Like it was one of those things, like it just clicked one day that I understood what these conversations were about. Um, actually, I started going to church on my own when I was like in middle school and high school. And I was actually pro-life. I was like a person that like made poster boards and went to the student lobby. And I would tell people like, you know, this is probably the, the best option. I bet if people had better health care, they probably wouldn't even think about this. I had no idea of the plethora of reasons or no reason at all other than your own personal decision why someone would have an abortion. It took me feeling isolated in a church service on a completely indifferent and unrelated topic that made me realize this is what I do to other people. This is what I am saying to them. And it's none of my business. And that decision changed my outlook when it comes to politics generally. It's funny how those things all at one point connect, you know, and that's why there's this whole like anti-woke, but I think that's what it is. Like you get... It's like you wake up and you're like, holy shit, this is all connected. And all these people are very fiscally conservative. Um, Amanda, you told me this story personally about a year ago. And I was like, God, that's so awesome. Like, I wish I saw more of that. It was kind of how you were raised and what, what changed your mind and what came out of that. Uh, yeah, so I was raised in an evangelical family, so I learned about abortion because it was spoken of often in my household, along with other politics and other political issues, but that was a, a main topic of conversation. It was wrong. We shouldn't do it. So my you know, parents had a very clear opinion that they were making you know, very clear, in this household, we are pro-life. Uh, my mom actually ran a crisis pregnancy center, which we'll probably get into what that is. Um, and I, in high school, we, in our, you know, social studies class, we could write any bill we wanted to and bring it to the class. Of course, I'm going to write a heartbeat bill. And of course, everyone's going to pass it. They did not. They did not. <laughs> and I was like, what? Guys, did you read the language in the bill? I was so shocked that everyone in my class did not think the same way as I did. Um, and I, I think similar to Ashley, like, and then you kind of grow up and things happen that you don't expect to happen. And kind of, you know, Ali says, like, you know, I never expected to have two knee surgeries, but I did, right? Things happen, you don't. So as you get older, kind of like, man, I could see something. I might not personally choose that, but maybe I would in a certain circumstance. And you start to get that. But then you also start to feel, well, I became an economist. So I love numbers and I love data. Oh, I love those numbers. I know. Just... And you start doing the research, right? If you really don't like abortion, well, what does the research say? How do we limit it? And how we limit it is actually not getting rid of it because we had a lot of it when it was illegal. It was just really dangerous for women. How we get rid of it is do things like give women access to better health care and better birth control and better sex education, right? Not everyone has like a great sex education in their class. Like 
I don't think we talked about abortion in my sex education no, we, class. They, they probably taught abstinence. Oh, yes. So my mom actually did. I was very cool in high school, if I didn't mention that. <laughs> my mom taught our high school abstinence education. Wow. You, and you told me that not only did the data and stories obviously change your mind, but your mom hopped on the, hopped on the train did. with you. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So I think some of it, so my mom is this kind of strange combination of like hippie feminist, but also pro-life evangelical and very like marched with women as a teenager. And I think part of it was showing her the data, right? And she actually has always been very pro-contraceptive. So one like Halloween dressed up as a condom. I was like, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but all right. <laughs> okay, mom. Um, super, because she knew it limited the chances you would have to have, right? It's super difficult to get abortion if you're not pregnant, right? You just, you just can't and don't. And it's not even an issue at that point. But- when we start to peel back and start of what we think about women, the narrative is crazy, irrational women go out and get pregnant and say, I want a baby. Just kidding. I don't. That's not what happens. And if you are a woman and if you know women, you know it isn't irrational women deciding, I want a baby. No, I don't. Right? It's women who are in terrible circumstances or being placed in those circumstances. And it's women making a rational choice as hard as that is. You know, for maybe both sides that, you know, the pros outweigh the cons here. And this is what I'm going to choose. So you you talked about, so crisis pregnancy centers are basically set up as traps to get women to go through with a pregnancy and and treat it like that they're actually healthcare, And they're not. And what they share is misinformation and and some very problematic out, outlooks on things. Um, and we've talked about that in the previous season. And, and I say that as somebody who's related and friends with people who have worked at these and probably still do. Um, I never knew what they were until in recent years they've been more talked about um, through the news and through documentaries and such. Let's real quick talk about some of the myths. You mentioned it. They've painted this picture of like the boogeyman. The person who gets it, this this woman who's just horrible, and she's probably smoking yeah. crack, and she just got done <laughs> with the gang She's going to give birth tomorrow. Like, never mind. Yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna it's do just that like, tomorrow. well, you know what? It's Thursday, and I didn't want to mess up my body for the <laughs> dance this weekend. So what are some other myths that you guys remember hearing? One of them from crisis pregnancy centers specifically is if you get an abortion, you probably won't be able to have a baby after right. that. Yeah, that's what but I was going to say. But it's dangerous. Yeah. That, yeah, that the whole botched abortion from dirty dancing, things like that, where you, you don't realize it's a medical procedure. You Most of the time you can just take a pill. Um, and when I say just take a pill, it's, you know, more than that. But it's not a back alley abortion that this is done by medical right, professionals. Hanger, yeah. It's like going in for surgery. I've had two surgeries this year, and one of them was a DNC after a miscarriage. And it was about the same as the cosmetic surgery I had for fun. Like, it wasn't scary. It wasn't unsafe. I was totally fine the next day. Um, and it's the same procedure I would have had if I had an abortion. And so it's that scary, like, you're going to be in pain. You're going to be, you know, yeah. injured. You're going to come out of this worse than you went in. Yeah. And when it's in just reality, it's like less than your period. Exactly. Like cramps. And it, like, you're just like, oh, that, okay. This is my body healing itself. It's right. actually far safer to get an abortion than to go through with childbirth. That is true. <laughs> Especially for non fiscally conservative people. <laughs> so, I mean, the I don't know if you guys know some facts, but I, I it's something like you're five or six more times likely to have complications and or die if you're black or Correct. a person of color. Absolutely. Yes. 
So I had I had complications um, when I had my son and had to it resulted in an emergency C-section, um, which is unless you have ever experienced it, is a very scary feeling. Um, and so to say to me, you know, your uterine capabilities is the most important thing about you, and it's doing it wrong. And now we have to go in and do this emergency thing, and there's, you know, things beeping, and you got to go into the room by yourself. You're all alone. This is the scariest moment in your life. What a blessing. We hope you do it every single <laughs> year for the rest of your life, as long as you're fertile. And so there's just this misconception that I think the biggest one is the straw woman is 100% healthy, 100% capable, will give birth vaginally, naturally, no complications, no postpartum depression, no healing required afterward, and she will be thankful that we made her do it. Yeah. That is the biggest misconception in my mind. That we made her do it, too. Yes. She'll thank us for it. Yeah, she'll thank us for it. You'll realize it later. This is the the best thing that ever happened to you, and you'll thank us That we could have given you. Yep. Which we know is not true, because have you heard of the turnaway study? So the turnaway study is this amazing study to look at what is the impact of denying abortion to women. And right, this is hard to compare, because right, if we compare someone who has an abortion to someone who doesn't, right, demographics might be very different, right? Their upbringing might be different. Their poverty situations might be different. So it's not a fair comparison. So how do we get a fair comparison? So the turnaway study looked at women who are just on the border between they would allow it or not allow it to compare their outcomes. And what they saw is 95% or more of those women did not regret the abortion if they were allowed to have it. If they were denied having it, their economic outcomes were worse. They were more likely to be in poverty. Not only that, the child they had and their previous children also had worse outcomes, which is just an uncomfortable fact for pro-life people that the abortions actually made women and their children's lives better. I was going to say that one of the biggest misconceptions is they're going to be so regretful. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure that they've all met women who were regretful of having an abortion. I mean, it's it yeah. because you're not, like you said, you're not this all one, like it's all like 100% this or 100% that. Of course, there's feelings and mi- mixed emotions. And as humans, we always have a tendency to look at grass as greener, regret things that we should have done or didn't do. Um, but yeah, that study is so important because not only does it debunk the idea that women who get abortions are depressed, but it actually proved that when the depression and a lot of the negative outcomes are from women who were denied to, you know, healthcare, were denied yeah. the ability to get an abortion. Um, even some more recent studies, there was one that came out of uh, UCSF. Uh, and this was one of the lowest numbers that I've seen, was that 85% of women had positive feelings or none at all after they had gotten an abortion. And most of the uh, stats are usually in the 90th percentile, 90 to 95%. Yeah. Every time they show, it's like, no, this was the right decision. Yeah. yeah. And those, so those numbers are important. Like numbers I get can be super boring. However... The crisis pregnancy centers see the other, whether it's 5%, 10%. They do see those women. So when they come to you and say, I see women regret it every day, they do. But they're seeing the 5%, 10%, right? So it's important to know those numbers because you say, yes, I understand that some women regret it. Like, look, I cut my hair one time and I cried about it for a week because I super regretted that haircut, Right. right? Sometimes we regret the things that you do, but it's not the typical case. 
and right. you see the atypical case, which when they just see the atypical cases, they think that 5-10% is the majority, and it's just not the case. Well, and it's also interesting because why are you banning something because five to ten percent of people regret it? Yeah, and oh. just like anything There's else. Be, oh like, gosh, <laughs> if you're if you're going for a job that you really want and you don't get it, you might grieve the fact that you didn't yeah. get that job. You know, so you might grieve yeah. the fact that you ended a pregnancy. Yeah, but ultimately, life goes on. Right. But then your you your it. friend gets hired there, and they're like, "Believe me, you got the bullet." <laughs> yeah, exactly. This place sucks. Exactly. You know, and, and at the end it's of the a day, crisis pregnancy center. It sucks. <laughs> exactly. And at the end of the day, you have to remind yourself of why you made the decision in the first place. Like, as women, we have intuition, and you have to follow your gut. Okay, but can we also can we also look at the fact that I think the reason that there is some regret and some shameful feelings are because of the process that they make you go through. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And yes. society. I yes. mean, until recently, yeah, until recently, women wouldn't even mention or admit they had an abortion. Right. Right. So the fact is many of us had grandmas or great grandmas, even when mm -hmm. it's legal, who got an abortion. They just didn't tell anyone. Right. Right. And so you actually benefited from your great grandma having an abortion and had fewer kids and did better. And her, you know, your grandpa did better because of it. But you just don't know it. That story never got passed down. Yeah, and I think that's why I was shocked my mom told me in high school because I still had those shameful thoughts around abortion that yeah. it seemed like no one talks about abortion. It's a hushed word. Yeah. So my, the fact that my mom told me so-and-so had an abortion, I was like, am I supposed to know this information? Yeah. Is she embarrassed? Yeah. Is this, should I not tell anyone I know this? And yeah. it was like, no. It's okay. Her telling me that made me realize, like, it's okay. We can talk about these things. We can use the word abortion. Yeah. We don't have to say, speak around it. We're going to yeah. terminate our pregnancy or we're choosing to do so it's like you can say abortion it's okay and it if it's not then yeah people something's will wrong <laughs> no i don't so i had a friend in college who had an abortion but i only found out about it from another friend because oh. she obviously didn't want to tell me right which is not a shocker based on how open i was about my pro life feelings and i remember feeling really cuz we were pretty close like i remember i regretted that she felt she couldn't tell me hmm. and then it doesn't come across that i didn't necessarily at the time like look down on anyone but now, in hindsight, like, obviously, that's what she got from what I said. So were you pro-life situation in situations or just like, you're pregnant, have that baby? So at the time, I was pro-life, basically, you're pregnant, you have that baby. Wow. Like, pretty no exception. So now I love the exceptions, right? Exception, <laughs> I love any exception you will give me. I'll take all the exceptions. And even, you know, for me, I think even if I think – so I still consider myself pro-life with lots of exceptions – but I, even then, I think I'm, I might not make that choice. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But just because I wouldn't make that choice doesn't mean I should make someone else make that mm -hmm. choice. Like right. that, doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Hold on. Can you repeat that for all of the white men sitting <laughs> in a <laughs> congressional seat real quick? Since the beginning of season two, it's been impossible not to talk about abortion and health care with every woman who shows up on our panel. Here's some snippets from just one conversation with Lindsay, my co-producer, and myself, along with Megan Cox and Elaine Bishop from the Diet Culture episode. I mean, abortion is healthcare. There's no denying that um, unless you think about it non-scientifically. And it's, I mean, healthcare is scientific. Healthcare is essential. And abortion is part of that. We don't legislate open heart surgery. We don't legislate amputations like you get the health care that your body needs because you're an individual with individual needs right and so to legislate a medical procedure that 
will save your life in many cases. I mean, we're talking about asking women to die for a baby who will also die in many cases. We are asking women to be permanently disabled by asking them to carry a pregnancy that will cause them permanent harm and may result in a severely premature baby who will then also have their own chronic illness. It's so complicated. It is so much beyond, I am pregnant and I don't really want to have a baby and I don't really care about this little life that's so precious. That is not the argument. Like, <laughs> life is precious. Children are precious. Babies are precious. They're also complicated. And the circumstances of becoming pregnant are complicated. In this country right now, I think the accidental pregnancy rate is 50%. That's enormous. Who, uh, back when I was 22, I had a one-year-old son and I found myself pregnant again uh, with my now ex-husband, we were not stable. His family was far from stable. And I, as much, I was pro-choice. So making this decision was really hard, but I, I could see there was nothing wrong with the baby, but I could see what this baby's life was going to be. And it wasn't going to be good. And I was in no place in my life at that time for other reasons besides my ex-husband's family being the way they were and him as well, um, to bring this life into the world and try to care for my my uh, one-year-old son so um there was some pressure but in the end I felt it was the right thing to do and uh I don't think the heartbeat bill was in effect then but they they did at the time make a point to show me the ultrasound and um <laughs> it was hard you know because nobody wants to make that decision you know, I didn't want to do it, but it was for the best. And I don't regret it, um, but it did come back to haunt me later in life because when my husband and I, my, my now husband, we tried to have now my seven-year-old, it took me a long time to get pregnant. And because of my background, of course, you know, morality came into it. And I thought I was being punished for making that decision. But um, just being against it and being on the other side of it, and I would never in a million years judge anyone for this decision they make. I mean, it's a personal, deeply personal decision. You feel like you have to make an excuse if there's a situation that comes up where there was an abortion, like, oh, it wasn't viable, or oh, I don't know, name name your, your thing. Like, it, it still feels in this day and age, which is crazy, that if you have an abortion because it's your decision that there's something wrong. And, th and that's been ingrained in us, right? It's societal, it's religious. Um, but really, it I've experienced it from both angles, from a medically necessary point of view and from a selective point of view. And, and honestly, I was grateful for both. And um, the fact that I had access and the fact that there are people now who don't have access, just it it keeps me up at night. And I know people personally who have not had the access recently after the reversal of Roe that it's just like I had the comfort of going home after either a procedure or going to the clinic and actually having pills. I didn't have to take a two-hour ride or a 10-hour ride or fly on a plane after that was happening. And the fact that like it's traumatizing enough no matter what your situation is that then you have to add travel on top of it and expense on top of it. 
And then the guilt and shame on top of it, it's just, it's so deflating as a woman. And it's just like, a, I feel like it's a crime against humanity. Like it's, it is healthcare and it should be accessible. And, you know, we're, we're talking about the life and well-being of an actual person who is here and existing. And then the hypothetical life of something that is still forming or not forming. Ugh, it's so problematic. And, and, it, and I don't know, it, it just, it really, really upsets me. And I'm still trying to ground myself in the privilege that I've had in the time when I've had to experience it versus these times now. We're discussing why women's voices are so important, not just in this conversation, but especially in the entertainment industry. Our musician spotlight this week is on my Kayla, and that's my underscore Kayla. Born in Cleveland and infatuated with hip hop since an early age, this gifted artist wrote her first rap at seven years old, which later led to a hobby of freestyling, poetry, and songwriting. In 2018, her comeback was a cover to Lil Wayne's record Mona Lisa, which she titled Set Mona Off. The viral song is a no-hook, bar-for-bar tale that distinguishes my Kayla as a true lyricist and storyteller. She currently produces tracks with multiple producers, such as our friends over at Mayhem Music, Chris Harris and Dan Solovitz. Her music has been featured on the Food Network, WWE, Stars, the NBA, and TNT, just to name a few. Check out her music and links to more at my-kayla.com. It's too revealing. I lash out like estheticians. Get the fuck up out my business. Uh, I know I sound like some children, but I ain't never seen love growing up on Princeton. So I hope you sympathize with a nigga like me. I've been through through a lot. Keep a smile even when down. Count my blessings. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I feel alive. I'm so motherfucking high. And I know you in love with me. I just don't know why. How toxic me to you. It's always gonna be mine. Who she got that vibe? Had it out. Okay, I, the way I compare to it, and I realize, of course, it's not the same, but like you have people who are very vegan. <laughs> and to be honest, vegans are doing the Lord's work. Because of them, there's, there's less uh, methane gas in the air. It curbs a whole problematic industry, the meat industry, um, and there's a lot of health benefits to it. There's all these great things. But if they came knocking at my door and said, you're not allowed to eat meat or any <laughs> animal-related products again... again Oh, it's not going to go well. Believe yeah. me, I'd become pro-meat then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm actually, I was a really strict vegetarian for about a decade. So I'm still mostly vegetarian. Sometimes now I have cheat days with a little lobster now and then. But so I totally understand that. Or like this is the viewpoint I have for myself. Right. And I don't like, I used to eat meat. It's fine. Like I don't think differently of anything. I think it's a choice I made. And you know, I like that choice for myself, but I wouldn't necessarily make it for other people. Yeah. Right. No, I think it's that's a really interesting point because I always say, like, I am an expert in exactly one thing, and that is me. Exactly. <laughs> that is what I know the best. Mm-hmm. I know everything about me. From Some the, people don't even know that about the themselves. So that's right? <laughs> and so to say, like, these, you know, someone down in Columbus who knows nothing about me, never, never met, met me, you. doesn't no. know my family history, doesn't know my health record, they, go, they tell me. You are only valuable to the extent that you are a human producer. And anything above or beyond that is dispensable. Yeah. You're not an expert on Ashley. (laughs) You don't get to tell me that that's where my value lies. And I disagree with you. Not only that, some of them don't even have a basic understanding of 
female anatomy. Most of like, them don't. I yeah. talk about the yeah. ectopic pregnancy yeah. transfer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's you, only one treatment just, for that. Like, and if you don't shoot it to another it, woman, you die. Die. <laughs> death no. or abortion. Those yes. are the two options. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, That's all you get. And then there was the South Carolina senator who said, well, I didn't realize. I signed this bill. Yes. And I didn't realize the implications. Because he didn't realize that when you have an abortion ban and you make an exception for the life of the mother, which is the one most people by far, like, yeah, I can understand that if it's die or not, right? right? But what does that mean in practice? Does the mother get to decide if her life is in danger? Because it's not. It's a lawyer. You got it. That's essentially a death panel, right? That is a panel of lawyers saying, not close enough to death. Like, I see you're on your way to death, but you're not quite close enough. And it's not the lawyer's fault. No. That's the law. Yeah, and the problem is that the laws are not based on any medical facts right. whatsoever. No, no, no. In fact, the way that they're worded were completely uh, from far-right, uh, right. you know, mm-hmm. lobbyists yeah. and propaganda yeah. uh, spinners. Um, you know, they actually, one of the recent studies also showed that 61% of people across the board in, in the country, uh, they agree with abortion in all situations, all contexts. Yeah. That's that's huge because then that means there's also that big buffer and there's a very small minority that think that it's not acceptable in any situation. And probably some of them still agree if the mother's going to die, okay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sad that, you know, they're they're doing that. But I think it starts with the misinformation, like we were talking about. Like one of them that we didn't mention yet was it causes cancer. Mm-hmm. That is one of oh, the... Oh, I never heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I, so I learned that from my mom as well, that it causes breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And there's oh. studies on it. There's the can- like the American Cancer Association, I think it is. Like There's never been any study that has linked it to breast cancer. It is not a thing. Yeah. I just had my mammogram. It's not one of the things they ask you. They ask <laughs> yeah. you a lot of stuff, but that's not one of them. So I went down a rabbit hole talking to a reli- very religious family member, and I was like, well, what if this? And what if this? And by the end, they're like, you're painting such this like very specific thing. I go, no, I'm talking about the majority of cases aren't what you're talking about. And they said, so shouldn't that person have a way to, to take care of their health? And, and their response was, and this is really important because we're doing a whole other blown out episode on purity culture. The response was, it was their decision to have sex. And to me, that's what abortion has boiled down to. A consequence. Yes. Is a, a negative consequence for a, Bad act. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but then if he if he or she, your family member, was saying you're 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 pinning it into a very specific each woman has her own specific case that's exactly. happening. Yeah. And if it's a matter of they decided to have sex, well what about the women who didn't decide to have sex with very that true. man? And now she's pregnant with his baby and mm-hmm. yeah. well, you got a baby in there, so carry that baby and you better love that baby regardless of how that baby got here. And yeah. let's not talk about the gap between the mainstream romantic coercion trope that we see in romantic movies, right? Where the guy pursues this girl over and over, sings in the rain, chases her down, and that is her version of consent. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between enthusiastic consent and what we widely accept as a society as consenting to a sexual act. Because there is a huge gap that exists there that nobody wants to talk about in this discussion. Yeah, true. And you mentioned the purity culture. You're not supposed to say no to a man. Right. You please the man. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm I everything you're saying is right <laughs> and and we've discussed it on this show specifically 
we were raised horribly as a white man, white straight man who grew up in this country in this time period. We were raised horribly because it was kind of like if you really want something, you go after you it go and, after and it. you don't give up. Yep. Deep down, she really likes you. You're just not fighting hard enough. Yeah. And of course. She's playing hard to get. That's what they tell yeah. you. Try a little harder. I know. She I mean, really likes you. Or, no, it was he really likes you, that's right? Why that's why, that's why you know. He really likes yeah. you. That's why he's, why he's bullying you. Oh, yeah, I know. Keep oh. the door open to the abuse there. Oh, I know. <laughs> to my producer behind the camera, Lindsay, blink twice if you consented to this relationship. <laughs> she blinked. We're in trouble. Okay. Yeah. No, and it's crazy, too, because if you talk about the consequences of your actions, so I said I scheduled an abortion this year. I was pregnant with a child I fully wanted. I got married in February. I got pregnant in May. Fully planned on having a baby in January. You go into an appointment and they tell you, this baby will not make it. We just don't know when. this. It could terminate now. It could terminate at 28 weeks and then you have to give birth to a stillborn baby. And my husband is a pediatrician who has sat in NICUs and has sat in deliveries and watched women give birth to stillborn babies. And he said, look, this is your decision. It's not my body. But I would strongly advise not letting this terminate on its own because the trauma associated with carrying a child that you are just waiting for the day they die and the doctors are like, well, we can't do anything And the for health you. risks. Yes, and I could die. Right. Because and I could get mirror syndrome. So this is I one could- where like as a pro-life person, my favorite exception, if I picked a favorite one, is late-term abortion actually. Late I am term? super for, yeah, how what we call late-term, like the later term, whatever. Yeah. I know that's not even a medical right. term, Right. For the exact reason you said, and as a pro-life person, for that baby. Because here's the thing. I would, like, the way that, again, some of the myths of the crisis pregnancy of, like, what an abortion actually is, like, I literally envision, like, a massive pair of scissors <laughs> going up a woman. Like, really. Like, that is what, or like. Or a big vacuum cleaner. Because yeah. they tell, yeah. they, they would say, you're suctioning out this. The whole baby. Yeah. 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 Yes. No. Like, I envisioned terrible things. And that's not the case. Right. It is a needle that goes in and stops the heartbeat, right? As humane as I have had to do for my dogs, I would do for my child, right? Where I also have friends who have, they didn't know, but at birth they found out of severe complications Mm -hmm. and had to watch their baby suffocate to death. And the pro-life people usually think it's like a gotcha moment where like, hey, but then you would not have that moment where you got to hold it. Yeah, yeah that's it's a Yes, that's what I say. I read an article because oh. you start researching. I read the diagnosis of my fetus mm. and it's terminal. I mean, it's like yeah. 99.9% yeah. chance. And then you just Google because you're like emotional and you're like, I'm going to get on the internet and yeah. not talk to my doctor husband and I'm just going to sit in bed and like mm-hmm. read horrific articles. And the one was like my miracle baby. And I was like, I just have to click onto this. And it, the miracle was that he was born and died. Like the miracle oh. was that he was born. Yeah. And so that's that whole like what's a miracle is not the same for everyone. A miracle is like that you can have an abortion and take care of yourself. And a lot of those women actually, in hindsight, would go back and have an abortion now. Right. I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wouldn't go back and change their mind in a case like that. Like you go to the doctor and they tell you somebody's not going to make it. Well, we'll just just roll the dice. Right. And with the whole like life of the mother or medical reasons – you get the people who also tell you, like, but miracles do happen. And what if the, the stats are wrong? For every 95% that die, 5% live and 5% are okay. And you're like, well, you can't, like, live in that world where you yeah. start oh. parsing out. And then you're basically forcing someone to gamble. gamble like, it's on a, life. Like, life. Force them go, like, yeah. gamble at the slots and that's yeah. your life. I don't even at, like to do that. At Vegas. So. <laughs> no. I'm not saying it's not special, but I, I, I have long argued birth is not a miracle. It happens all the time. Probably what, 
thousands of times a day just in a small geographic location. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Sure. It's not a miracle. And, and the idea that we place so much value on the moment of birth and the, the idea of birth and everything before and after it or like who fucking cares, especially after you get birth, yeah. then suddenly your value is shot. Oh, that is true. Right? Until <laughs> you're able to get pregnant again. So, I mean, that, that's such a silly idea of, of telling somebody that that's a miracle right. and they should go through with that. So what ended up happening with your situation? So my doctor said, we can't do anything for you. We wish we could. I was lucky that I had doctors who were extremely open with me about abortion. They said, look, we can legally still tell you everything about it. We can't schedule you one. Can't do it here. But my doctor kept reiterating to me, like, wow. please come see me before you get I your abortion. I was here abortion. in Ohio. Yes. You couldn't, yeah. So if you made that choice or had to make that choice, you couldn't do it here. I made an you appointment in go. Pittsburgh. Yeah. So I was, I had a hotel room. I was going to drive to Pittsburgh with my husband. We're very fortunate that we both have employers who were like, take the time you need. I told my employer I was having an abortion. I had no qualms. I was like, either you get behind me or you don't. So I'm telling you. Um, and he was thankful I did. So, um, cause he said, I will respect anything you need from me in this time. Cause I can never understand what that means. Um, we love an emotionally intelligent man. Uh, so hot. Yeah. So hot right I was now. like, woo. <laughs> no, you're my boss, but um, and so, but my doctors kept reiterating, like if and they they try so hard to speak around it. And I said, look, I I'm I've made my decision. We can have this conversation. If the fetus experiences demise before you go to your abortion, we can actually take care of you. So let us check for a heartbeat before you leave. So because the fetal heartbeat was gone before my abortion, they were able to treat me here in Cleveland. And they were so happy, and so were we. But it was like we had to go through weeks of like. Waking up every day being like, am I going to... That's traumatic. That's like a fever. Am I having septic uterus? Am I... And so it was like every little thing that happens in those two weeks leading up, you freak out and you panic. And, and imagine this is anything but an abortion. Imagine this is any other kind of surgery that yeah, you need to get. you have an get. aneurysm and they won't yeah, treat it. Yeah. yeah. And they tell you, well, there's a waiting period or you have to go out of state if you yeah. want this treatment. I mean... And who has the means to all this access and these resources? The most underserved people are the ones who are going to need that the most because you probably had stellar health care. Yeah. Didn't matter, though, because all the way up. It, it doesn't um, cover an abortion either. So that's the other right. thing. Most uh, health insurance providers don't cover abortion. We were fine. You know, we had the resources. And the Abortion Fund of Ohio said, look, we will support you however we need. And I said, I don't need the financial support. I need the logistics support. Um I'm happy to give my money to the Abortion Fund of Ohio and not take it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's an expensive event. It would have cost me. I did all the math. I think it would have ended up costing me $1,500 for my abortion between hotels, gas, the procedure And itself. yet that's so much less expensive <laughs> than having, than having a child. Having a baby. Right. I mean, that's the other thing that they don't take into account. Well, well, you can give it up or you can do this. Like, that is a long, freaking expensive road just to end somewhere that you didn't want to be in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And we have no guaranteed child support. So there's or maternity leave. Mm -mm. Yeah. And that's also part of the straw, you know, like woman, you give this baby up and you ship it off, you know, to the, the warm and open arms of someone and you get to go back to your life. You're not going to lose your hair. Yeah. You're not going to get sensitive teeth that you have to yeah. go see a dentist for. You You're not going to have to worry about, like, how to get rid of the milk that you've produced. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about, like, whatever's going on with your body, you know, whatever. Like, all of that stuff doesn't exist. Right. Just give the baby up, and that is it. Like, it's and let's not worry about statistics of kids who grow up in foster care. Oh, oh God. Don't even don't even try to tell them about that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, there's that one kid who had a movie. We'll adopt your he baby. He was great. Yeah. <laughs> 
but, but okay, so let's say best case scenario, the kid is adopted, and adoption is obviously a beautiful thing. You have, you have, uh, you've adopted a, a kid, and, but guess what? No matter what, that kid, there's always going to be that identity crisis that, yep. that children are going to have. Yeah. They're going to want to know who their yeah. birth parents were. This false notion that this is the best thing for everyone. I mean, it might be in some cases, mm -hmm. but in most cases, from what the data that we've seen is women agree like, nope, the best case was what I did and I have no regrets on it. Yeah. I mean, the adoption is the nice like straw woman, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, it won't affect you the rest of your life wondering where your kid is that's out there somewhere, right? But it will, like it stays with you. And I think they don't understand the realities of adoption that it is not a simple thing for the mother or the child. That child will always wonder why me? Why am I here? Why am I different? And that is a conversation that, so we've had with our son who's adopted even now, like you are special and that is special about you. But it is something that we are trying hard early because we know at one point he's going to wonder, why am I not with my biological mom? Right? What happened? What was wrong with me? Right? And that is just an uncomfortable thing that every adopted kid will go through. And of course, it affects people in all kinds of different groups. Here's just one example from our conversation with Kate, the girl with a microphone. I think you have an interesting standpoint. Uh, one, you're in the LGBTQ. Um, and also, you know, you're married and you, you know, this idea that, well, only straight women are affected by this. Like, that's bullshit. So what are what's your thoughts and what are uh, your experiences with what has happened? Yeah, um, I I think the 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 biggest fear for me because if first of all if I if I want to have a kid it's going to be very intentional and so if I need an abortion for some reason it's going to be a medical necessity um, and the fact that that is being threatened and this is just from a personal standpoint that is that is in, insane um, but I think when we break it down to just these extremes, it kind of takes away from the fact that anybody should be able to get an abortion for any reason when they need one and when they want one, right? Um, so for me, the initial fear when I saw the, the ruling is that if, if Roe v. Wade isn't settled case law, then what is? And in, in Clarence Thomas's um, statement on it. I mean, he basically said that they're also going to go after the case that is quote unquote settled case law about same sex marriage. Um, and, and other, and other things that like civil rights things that we've gotten since Roe v. Wade, um, that kind of fall within the same, within the same bucket. So, I mean, this isn't, this isn't the beginning, just like getting Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett in there was not the end. Like this is, this is another step in this very long white Christo fascist plan that Republicans have to continue to strip rights away from anybody who would threaten the white heteronormative patriarchy. If they start messing with bodily autonomy, like where does that where does that end? You you made a very somber, poignant, somewhat funny video uh, where you roasted the Supreme Court. <laughs> that was a popular one. There are a lot of important conversations to have today, but right now all I want to do is roast the six Supreme Court justices who voted to strike down Roe v. Wade. 
<clears throat> Brett Kavanaugh, you're a creepy, ugly rapist. Boom, roasted. Samuel Alito, you look like you crawled out of a sewer. Boom, roasted. Fucking lizard piece of shit. Justice Roberts, you look like you have Benjamin Button disease. Boom, roasted. Demon. What is there left to say? You've been a creep since the beginning of time. And your wife is a fucking insurrectionist piece of shit, too. And Neil Gorsuch looks like he hunts people for sport. Some of the basic stats here are 11 states out of the 50 have completely banned abortion altogether. 33 states have bans after a specific point in the pregnancy, which, again, had no doctors or true medical professionals in making this legislation. 16 states require someone seeking the abortion to wait for a specific time period before their abortion, you know, hoping they're going to change their minds and suddenly be like, you know what? I don't care if I live in a cardboard box the rest of my life. I want to give birth. It's a miracle. Uh, 25, so half the states, require some type of parental involvement for a minor to get an abortion, which is really devastating because sometimes it is one of the parental figures who... Uh, knocks up the uh, teenager or the underage person. I know, but also think about the logic. You're a minor, so you're not mature enough to make a decision about abortion. Oh, but you are mature to enough to parent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You should really have a baby and raise it because you seem like you got your shit together. <laughs> yeah. And you obviously have it all figured out, but you can't sign this paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here in Ohio, abortions are banned after six weeks. Parental uh, consent is required and there's a 24-hour waiting period. And that is such horse shit. And, you know, we've talked on previous episode you were on, Amanda, uh, I th or maybe it was the one before that. We were talking about Mike DeWine and the heartbeat bill and all that. Uh, were you the one who started the heartbeat bill? Yeah. In your high school class. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I did write a heartbeat bill in high school. Did you write the first draft? I know. They might, I know. Maybe somebody got it at some point. It was probably <laughs> a lot of typos. Based, huh? I know. <laughs> Yours was probably better than whatever was drafted yeah. up. It probably was. Like, it's very bad. I think a lot of people don't even realize that what six weeks means. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's where because I was Because when we think of pregnant at six weeks, we imagine like fertilization, the baby's been growing for six weeks, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. Six weeks is from your last period. And people are like, well, but you know before that. So with my first, this is when I was trying to get pregnant, right? So this is when I'm like, really like, am I pregnant? I hope I get pregnant soon. At my first appointment, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm pregnant. And they like scan my belly and they're like, Hun, you're really pregnant. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm in here because I'm pregnant. And like, no, no, no. Like, you're 14 weeks pregnant. Holy smokes. Oh that was my first appointment. Was And I was like, so I can tell people now? Like, yeah, you could have told people like two weeks <laughs> yeah, ago. Like, I didn't know two weeks ago. Yeah. 14 weeks is the very first time. First appointment. Like, yeah, there's like stuff moving in there. That's not a little bean. Uh, I, think, I think I was seven weeks when I found yeah. out. Um, it was just one of those things. I was like, man, I think I might be stressed. <laughs> Because my period is late, yeah. right? Like, it's not like an right. alarm bill. And then it's like, huh, it's like three days late. Maybe I should go to the doctor. You know, it's like one of those things. And yeah. it just, it, there was nothing different about me. I didn't feel pregnant. I didn't, I don't know, cheese smell weird. You know, like it was nothing in particular that said to me like, boom, this is it. Yeah. This is the moment that no. people tell you you're going to know. Same. I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't feel any different for weeks. Yeah. Yep. Even if, right? So your last period was a month ago. Well, now you're four weeks in, right? Yep. And maybe you got to wait nine days before you can even yep. get an appointment. They won't so see you. Now no, you're like, yeah. now you got three days and it's like, okay, you go in, but now you got to go home and think about this for the next 72 hours mm -hmm. before you can come back. Well, 
now you're past your six weeks. So yep. it's like six weeks is absolutely nothing well, and I th- in 40 weeks. I think most OBs won't scan you till eight. So exactly. they'll, they'll take your last period and say, well, we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. That's right. Yep. yep. So you're left with clinics or… You hope you can get an appointment with. Exactly. And if you don't know that, if you don't have the information, that preterm will give you an ultrasound yep. if you need an ultrasound. Um, so it's basically a ban. Like yeah, the I six mean, weeks yeah. is like a fun yeah. thing for them to say. Yeah. Oh, look, we… We're six trying weeks. to meet you halfway. Yeah. yeah. Meet you at six. <laughs> Absolutely. Meet you at next to impossible. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to focus on why this is an issue. Because in the long history of not just mankind, our country, it was not a big issue. It was like during the Great Depression, like people were not trying to have children. And, and there were always those like unwritten like homemade rules on how you can do things. And if you don't want to get pregnant or if you don't want to keep a pregnancy, that was a well-known thing that people was just kind of like home health care kind of stuff. It was really around the women's suffrage movement where the big push against abortion came in because obviously there were a lot of people who were pissed off that the status quo was changing. And the, the rhetoric on abortion has gotten more outlandish all the time. And even the people who try to act like they're being empathetic, I see it from being a guy and being around a lot of conservative people. I see it. And, and it's so crazy. And, I, and it's hard to probably even think back to when you really believe some of this stuff. When I really believed that Santa Claus was this <laughs> pretty close to me. Yep. Who it was pretty, pretty much pro-life and Santa yeah. were my big yeah. things at, back yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's wild. And, and of course, we have to talk about the fact that people of color are impacted that much more. In, in, in states that abortion is legal, 40% of the people seeking abortion are women of color. And that's, again, we're talking about control and the patriarchy, essentially. I mean, you have the white people who get up there and complain that, oh, you know, they're, these people are lazy and they're having so many kids and they're on welfare but also we're going to make them all keep all these babies and overpopulate. You have all of this rhetoric and it's all negative, but it's not even logical in its own framework. I was, I was going to say, if you take that women's suffrage thread and you go back a couple of links, you're going to wind up in chattel slavery about how black women's bodies mm-hmm. were controlled. Your body did not belong to you. It was the property of someone else. You did not have the ability to get an abortion. And so you had to secretly grow herbs in a place off on the side of the plantation where the medicine woman who was part of the community knew about it and she could offer these treatments to you. And it was something that could get you lynched. It was something that could get you lynched because the property that comes from this delivery has monetary value. I can sell this baby. I can put this baby to work. And as a result, this is an evil thing that you are doing. You are not allowed to do this. It is forbidden. You take that thread and you follow it forward, and that is the rhetoric that we get today. Also, to piggyback off the conservative part, to force all women to have their babies also also ensures that the white population continues, right? So... The more progressive we get and the more inclusive we get, the more biracial, mm-hmm. the more the white race is coming a step back as far as being out there everywhere, right? So 
yeah, you'll be forced to have your baby and you'll live in poverty, but we will grow. You won't eliminate us. So, uh, I, absolutely. Uh, abortion, church, the the whole religious trauma and politics are all uh, rooted in white supremacy. Yeah, for sure. I, 100%. I mean, anybody who has half a brain can see what's happening there. And it's heartbreaking. Just hearing you tell that story, like imagine that they're trying to tell you what you're doing is evil, yet it's not they that they own the, you. Yeah. <laughs> they As if what they're doing is. Yeah. And they're like damning their child <laughs> to like a lifetime of hell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just sickening. Does anybody else feel like there's something we haven't touched on or any personal stories they want to share? Because I certainly want to open it up to any of that. Am I, are we allowed to say anything about you? Or, or you can say, yeah. So I love it too, because not only do we have a diverse panel of women here, we actually have a pregnant woman at the table <laughs> talking about abortion. That's absolutely. right. Women who have babies still agree with abortion. It's wild. Yeah, absolutely. Octavia? Um, just because this baby is here doesn't mean that the last baby is here, right? Because it's my choice, what I should be able to do with my body. And... Um, Ooh, it makes me emotional because I am pregnant. Oh. <laughs> um, but my husband and I have been together for eight years, seven years ago when we just met and we're dating and all of a sudden I'm pregnant and we have everything in life happening and I'm 24 years old. I'm not ready to have a baby. So that was my choice, what I got to do with my body. And today we're married, we're, you know, blissfully in love. And I'm so excited for my son to get here. But that is my right to choose to keep my son for him to be here. So I don't think, you know, you you ladies are lawyers, right? So if I was to portray myself as a lawyer and go up in front of a court and um, represent somebody, I could be prosecuted for fraud, right? Because I didn't go through law school. I don't have the ability to do that. So how can someone who can't even carry a baby. Tell me that I have to carry a baby, you know? So I am pregnant and I think it's beautiful for everybody to have their own opinion, but I would never ever judge a woman for whatever choice she makes because I'm not living her life. What I love is you represent everything that debunks the bullshit myths. You're able to get pregnant again. Yeah. You're not regretful of it no. and you still love the fact that you're going to yeah, have a baby. Absolutely. Hopefully a healthy, beautiful baby. Oh, he's he's 100% healthy. Yes. He's so active. He's <laughs> <laughs> he'll be here in 90 days, Whoa. you know. Like <laughs> so excited to meet him, you know, but life takes you in different directions and you roll with it the way that you roll with it. So, here we are today, but I've been in situations where I'm like Daddy, <laughs> I can't do this right now, you know, like I can't, I can't do this. And as a parent or as a friend or, you know, you should always, as a woman, you should get support. And it should never, ever be a situation where you're being forced to do something just because somebody else feels like you should do it. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. Well, and I think, and I don't know if you felt this way too, like being pregnant made me more Pro-choice. I mean, I was always Absolutely. very pro-choice. Absolutely. But being pregnant, like I remember my husband said to me one morning, this is before we ever knew anything was going wrong, but I was like so tired and this and that. And he's like, Can you imagine doing this every day if this was not what you wanted? <laughs> and you weren't that. blissfully 
in love with the thought of having a baby? Yeah. He's like, could you imagine? Because I remember I heard a quote once, like, how do you convince a woman to rip her body in half? Yeah. You promise her a baby. Yeah. But if that's not what you want and you're forcing her to rip her body in half. Yeah. And then your baby feels everything that you feel. Everything. So if you're excited and you love him or her and you're so happy, then that's great for that baby. But if you're like, oh my God, how the fuck am I going to take care of this baby? So bad for Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? I hate that I'm pregnant. That baby feels all of that. And so it's like before they're even here, what kind of life... are you? What kind of life do they have while they're baking? Mm-hmm. And what kind of life are they going to have once they get here? If that's how you already feel before they're ever even here, before you ever even meet them, there's already a negative connotation behind this person is about to ruin my life. Mm-hmm. And you feel it every day. Every you day. You can't avoid it. It's like it's in you. It's literally yeah, your it's body. It's there. Yeah. So you it's, wake up every day with that reminder. And some of us are 40-year-old adults who feel that, that, they, <laughs> that their parents probably didn't want to go through with this. Yeah. Let's end on a positive note, if it's possible. <laughs> so uh, I was listening actually just this morning to NPR on my, on my way to work, and they were talking about how there's the, after the, the uh, decision on Roe had been overturned and they had released that, that women in droves were, especially in battleground states and in conservative states, were registering to vote. And I think that's the only way that things can change. And of course, there's going to be gerrymandering, and they're going to stop they're going to try to stop people of color from voting, and and there's going to be all these things in the way. But um, one, I hope women uh, in the midterms and this next big election come out in record numbers. And men, if you if you're into women and you ever want to be touched <laughs> by one again, I hope you fucking do too, uh, because that's the truth. So, I mean, one of the heartening things that we saw was Kansas, a place mm-hmm. that yeah. we thought we'd never see that, and it was like a big fuck you, no mm-hmm. way. Uh, what else have you seen or heard or experienced recently that has shown, hopefully, a, a turning of the tide? I mean, so I think, like, Octavia, just sharing your story now. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, yeah, I don't know if women would have. Right. Like, being able to talk about all of the experiences, whether your experience is like, this is not the right time for me, or whether your experience is my fetus has a really life-debilitating thing going on, or whether your experience is... Like, I hate telling other women this. I had the easiest pregnancy ever. (laughs) Like, literally easiest. I just didn't know. I could run six miles. I had more energy than you. Like, it was awful. I hate hate telling. I know. I get it. (laughs) I I totally get that. (laughs) But even with the easiest. Are we voting her off the panel? (laughs) But even with the easiest pregnancy, I will say every day, it was still, like, annoying because it felt like it was was just stupid basketball tape to me that I just wanted to take off sometimes. And And even that, I felt like I can't imagine forcing a woman to do this. Mm -hmm. And even what like that, I just can't imagine that. And I have a hard time right now. So I think just hearing all of the stories, like most women, like when we're like, you know, chatting, having brunch at some point, like, especially if you just had to get you talk about your birth story, right? Mm -hmm. What happened? And like, everyone has a different birth story. Everyone, even if it's a normal pregnancy, something was a little different. Something happened different. And I think what you see with all of the different stories is how do you legislate that? right? Right. Our government and legislation and bills are not set up for the diversity of stories that women have regarding pregnancy and fertility. Yeah. It will never work. Yeah. I think for me, I posted my story because I plan to have an abortion and I wanted people to know that. Like, I didn't just have a miscarriage. I fully plan to have an abortion. I would have had my abortion if I went to my ultrasound and there was a heartbeat. And I wanted to tell people that word. Like, I wanted to use that word and let people know that, like, 
this is what the reality is. And it could be that I just wanted an abortion or that I needed an abortion, but this is the reality of my life. And the amount of people who came out of the woodwork who told me they had abortions, who were very conservative women, or older aunts who I thought were going to maybe not talk to me at Thanksgiving, um, were sending me cards and letting me know they supported me and letting me know they were you know, on my side on all this. So hearing how many people supported me and not one person pushed back and said like, how dare you? Yeah. Um, was we're encouraging. Told, I think we're told it's more divisive than it is. It's, I totally agree. I, I do. Because I think the people that you think, like, I was probably the most divisive. And even that, like, my mom and I have come a far way just from having conversations with real people and real women. That's huge. I think for me, um, what has been, like, really encouraging is I've always viewed feminism through, like, these two silos, Right. There's like the white feminist movement that is the desire to work outside of the home. And there is the women of color feminist movement that stems from the desire to be paid fairly and be treated with some type of humanity and compassion for the work that you do. Mm -hmm. The origins are different. And so as a result, the conversations are on top of or side by side with one another. In this whole conversation, I've seen people reach across, listen to, work with groups of people they never would have thought to work with before. And that to me is encouraging because what we have always seen is that you can clearly see the, the divide in the voting block based on race. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we can get the progressive women's voting block mixed all together, I think we can move the country forward into a more, I don't know, beautiful place to live up to the potential that we all think that it has. The melting sure. pot we pretend we yeah, are. to be, right. Uh, you know what? That, that's a great way of putting it, too, because, uh, you know, th this show is all about candor. I had a hard time just finding women of color in my own periphery or just outside of it to be on this episode. And it, it was the first time it's happened, and maybe it was just by coincidence because schedules were a mess. And I'm like, I'm friends with a lot of men who are non-white. And it really made me start to go, even in my own circles where, that I see me being in these diverse things, there is a separation. And, and it was not by any of our choices, but there is. Even our cultures, locally, I was just at your father's awesome wedding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and even though I felt I was very part of diff two different communities, there is still this separation. And it was put here way before any of us. And we're all still dealing with it. And that's a beautiful way to put it because I think the thing that links women, white, black, everything in between, is that you all have that in common. And I don't even know how a conservative woman can vote against the rights of other women. You don't, we don't have the time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so join us next episode where Octavia bashes conservative women. With a bat, literally. Uh, I'll be in the wings. I'm like, I'll okay, tag team. I, I can't thank you enough. And I mean, you joked, but this, there's no way to do this in one episode, period. There's just not. So I hope that there's other ways that we can tackle this subject. And I hope that you as the viewer or the listener got a lot out of this. If nothing else, not to change your mind on abortion, but to change your mind on how you think about other people and their right to have an abortion. Uh, 
if you see it as a bad thing, if you see it as an act against God and, and your religion, I get that. But I mean, there's a lot of people who don't eat pork, but they're not going around trying to shut down, you know, the pork shacks. Come on. I, I just can't understand how you can hear these stories and not empathize and say, actually, I, I kind of get that. I kind of get how the last person who needs to be in the room when you're making that decision is a congressman <laughs> or a legislator. I just can't wrap my head around that. So uh, all I can say is vote, 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 vote. And I think maybe we'll start to see a change in the, the rhetoric and a change in the terminology and maybe we'll start to move forward. If you're pro-life, God bless you. I hope you have beautiful children. I hope it's easy for you. But stop being the person to tell other women what to do with their bodies. It's just, I just, I thought we evolved past this. We just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to all the podcast platforms, our socials, and of course, YouTube. While you're at it, give us a rating, share with a friend, and subscribe. Support all women, and that includes the talented artists such as My Kayla. That's My underscore Kayla. And you can check out all of her music, links, and more at my-kayla.com. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Joe Callie, and Bobby Thomas. 